It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Dominant, your show here on Heart and Hand that chronicles the Soonest and Smith era throughout the 80s and 90s at Rangers. I'm Martin Ramsey, your host. I would hope you know by now. If you're new, first of all, where have you been? Um, Second of all, welcome. We are at part two of our four-part look at 91-92, Alchemy. I've called it. We'll get to that alchemy soon enough because as we left last week with David and Alan uh, Walter Smith in his first full season in charge, his new goalkeeper, Andy Gorham, are finding life difficult at Rangers. And for the first half of this show, anyway, things are not going to get any better. In fact, they're going to get worse before the corner is turned. Joining me to reassess this period of 1991 is all the way from Greece, Mr John Cowden. How are you, John? Very well, thank you. Um, Yeah, we need a new goalie. Get rid of this one. Yes, uh, (laughs) not the only person to be shouting that, I'm sure, around September, October 1991. And Andy McGowan's here as well. Good evening, Andrew. Good evening. Good evening, Good evening, listeners. Hi, Andy. Okay, we've got the pleasantries out of the way. Let's get down to business. Um, (laughs) These shows are never purely chronological, and this game happened, then that game happened, here was the attendance, here was the subs. Um, But we will cover everything we need to cover. Let's start with Europe. Um, As we know, the last two seasons, Rangers have been knocked out early, but they've been knocked out by very, very good teams. Red Star Belgrade would win the European Cup the season before. Bayern Munich the season before that would only be knocked out in semi-final extra time against possibly the greatest club side there's ever been. So, two quality sides. When the draw was made, this is a new-look European Cup with a group stage. Uh, Rangers' idea, of course, Campbell Ogilvy's idea. Um, and this is a trial run before it gets marketed and, and sold as something different the next year as the Champions League. Sparta-Prague are not Red Star Belgrade. They are certainly not Bayern Munich. Um, Andy, can you remember the feeling uh, when we got that draw? Because there's been some some real difficult ones over the the, the last while. Um, looking back at the kind of contemporaneous opinion pieces, it was tricky, but we should be all right. And we were starting to think about avoiding the likes of Marseille and Barcelona in order to get to that group stage. Aye, there was a there was a mixture of ignorance and overinflated ego in our part in that when we were drawing with Sparta Prague, I think the way you've described it would have been really accurate. It was neither a death sentence nor um something we should be afraid of. And I think there's a full expectation that we would be we would be going through. There was a kind of stereotypical caveat of Eastern European teams and they're always tricky and they're technically good and they wear Adidas socks and stuff like that. So um I think there was an expectation to go through. That's that's the bottom line. And with our players, I mean, we'd, we'd signed players with this in mind, and you know, Mikhailachenko and so forth were signed for 
or the European stage, it was no longer a case of everything was domestic, we were looking to move on. So it was a favourable draw. We, we, we should be going through here. John, your finger on the pulse of European football was never better uh, exemplified by your joy at drawing Red Star Belgrade the year before. That's who you wanted of all the teams <laughs> in that second round. Um, were you more wary of Sparta Prague or did you think, right, finally, this is all right, uh, we can get through and, and kind of get, get on here? Pretty confident before I actually went to the first leg over there and we were atrocious and they weren't much better. So coming away from that, absolutely thought we're going to do this pub team. As indeed, I thought about most Czech teams we've played through the years um, and usually we'll, we end up falling flat on our face against mm. Czech pub teams. Mm. But this was a team that was very, very beatable. We were dreadful in the first leg, and yet we're still in it. I don't think we're much better in the second leg, to be honest. But got ourselves in the winning position. They weren't good. I know they did pretty decently. I have no idea how they did it because they just they weren't at a level of. I don't think anybody we'd played in the preceding five years. Mm. If you, you never mind Red Star Bayern. I mean, Borussia Mönchengladbach. You know, Bucharest. I think they were one of the worst teams we played around this time. Mm. In my in my opinion, I mean, mm. there was nothing there that would say you're not going to go on relatively comfortably. So, yeah, but Czech teams, we're never that we're never that good against them for mm. some reason. I mean, we we. We avoided some big hitters. Barcelona are there. Marseille, who are very much the up-and-coming team, lost on penalties, of course, in the, the, the previous season. Two Red Star Belgrade, we, we avoided them. They had ported down and they hammered them um, without uh, any sympathy. Sampdoria, we missed. Dino Kiev, old friends there. Arsenal, um, back in the, the, the European Cup, or an English team back in the European Cup for the first time since Heysel. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Spirits were high, and I guess with the the memory of of Kiev, really, with that okay one nil defeat, no big drama. We'll we'll turn this around. Still not quite understanding the importance of of away goals, um, which would continue pretty much throughout the duration of the show. It would appear. Um, John, you're absolutely correct. It's not a great game. Andy Gorham is under pressure. He makes two very good saves in that game. But as is the way of these things, no one remembers the good things that he was doing because his blunders were ringing so loudly um, um, everywhere. Because he's really at fault for that that Sparta Prague goal. It's a big kind of looping winner um, from Jiri uh, Nemec, um, and you know we're, we're one down. Your memories of of travelling home. I, I, the reason I mentioned that Kiev game because it's it was surpassable, you know, um, Rangers overcame that deficit, uh, so it's not like the Bucharest game which, which kind of got away from us and that, that, that second goal really made that, that complexion change very different, uh, very markedly this is doable but this goalkeeper uh, is really, really becoming a, a huge issue now Oh yes uh, I think the one thing you want and I probably will touch on it is consistency um, it's all very well if you can pull out the, the worldies occasionally. And he wasn't pulled out worldies, but he was making decent saves. But if you don't stop the ones yeah. that you should stop, you shouldn't be ready. I put it down to, and I'm very critical, as you probably know, of the Scottish national team. I think there's a difference between playing for Scotland and playing for England. The pressures of playing for England are the same as playing for Rangers. Mm. No matter how mm. bad you are, People demand that you're going to go out and win the World Cup, European Nations, whatever. Scotland, I believe it's at this point, it's we're happy to be there, we've qualified. And I think Gorham brought that to Ibrox. In fact, I remember, I think it was the programme around the Aberdeen game where he says he gets bored and he's playing games of cricket in his mind when the ball's up the other end. It's either Rangers news. And that shows his mentality. He thinks he's made it by being there, whereas all of us know 
your Rangers journey only starts when you pull on that jersey. Whatever you've done before, no matter how good it is, I think he takes a long time to adjust because he he thinks he's made it. And things just start falling apart. He's too casual, he's unprofessional. And those first three months are... That is the worst Rangers goalkeeper I've, I've seen, number one goalkeeper I've seen in my life at this point in those first three months mm. because some of the mistakes are just they're amateurish. But we do get them back to Ibrooks Andy. Uh, John mentioned again the quality doesn't really ramp up. Uh, it's tense. I mean, there's a lot at stake of these these early qualifiers, which they are now, I guess. First round, second round gets you into this, this new look group stage. And the next game is the final after that. Um, Stuart McCall bundles home a kind of scrappy effort right after halftime at Ibrooks, parity in the tie. And it's McCall again, who in extra time, early in extra time, 93 minutes, uh, puts Rangers into the, the, the lead overall, 2-0 on the night. Um, Jock Brown makes a mistake of, of thinking it's Mo Johnson that scored. I don't think it's just because of the ginger hair. It's a Mo Johnson goal. It's very, very clever, um, great anticipation, um, great movement, great finish. But it's McCall. Um, he's top nearly gets ripped off him, I think, in the, in the celebrations. So it's done, right? Uh, until... Well, five minutes um, when we we have a bit of a bit of a disaster. <laughs> Rangers, by the way, in this this game um, are playing with a five man defence. Ole Kuznetsov starting for the second time this season. His, his kind of comeback is is underway. Walter's habit of tinkering with formation, trying new formations in huge European games that we've never used them before. Um, we'll come back to this um, in a place not far from where John's sitting right now. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have thought. Um, but Kuznetsov's in there with John Brown, Scott, and this, but um, hasn't been used before. He uses it on that night. Um, Meester's cross not stopped by Robertson. That's the first thing. And and people forget David Robertson took a while as well to establish himself. It wasn't just Gorham, although he was taking the headlines, obviously. Scott and this, but. Did all he could to to, to stop the the, the this, um, seagull being very able to control and get a shot away, um, and I think he's 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 done all right. And Gorham just has to stop the ball as it bounced back to him. Uh, he writes later through my hands and into the net it went, and we were out of Europe. Um, Andy, were you there that night? And for all the the issues with Gorham, there's another game to come to that that happened just before this one. It's getting hard to defend them at the moment. This goal was disastrous, and uh, if you if you go and watch it again on YouTube, it's you, you can't quite believe it's Andy Gorham. Well, Andy Gorham, we now we now know because as you say, it's like a it's like barcast. <laughs> That's the way I would describe yeah, it. You know, he does yeah. that. You know, like like a pensioner getting tipped to a wheelchair dive, <laughs> yeah. and and the ball goes through his hands. It's a disastrous goal, and when you then put it in the context of what it actually means in terms of getting into the Champions League, it, it's doubly disastrous. So, just a, a word on the, the formation. It's a bit of a trip if you think back now that Walter Smith played that formation, the defensive formation, in such a game. Um, my recollection, John, you can you can tell me if I've got this wrong, but my recollection was that Kuznetsov was getting brought back in, and it was pretty clear he was not fit. It was pretty clear he was a yard short of pace. He played on the Saturday. He played on the Saturday against Aberdeen, like another he? game that we'll come to, but in a four, because Rangers are not going to sit with five three. Yeah. Call it what you like at, at home, even to Aberdeen, um, who'd obviously caused all the the, the problems the previous uh, previous season. But yeah, you're you're probably right. He, 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 He's not match fit. I mean, yeah, he's, he's hardly kicked yeah. the ball since since that that horrendous injury. Um, but it's the it's the system. It, systems are maybe more important than than you can you can work with an individual coming back. They've got to come back at some point, you know. And plenty of people have come back, you know, off the bench even or or, or straight back in a team from nowhere and, and and done the biz. But when you you've just got three three men in defence who never played together. Goff's missing at this moment. He's injured. Um, and remember, because Netsov, it was always the plan to have him in a three. Uh, 
Um, but it, 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 the, the bureau wasn't it? That was the yeah. thing at the time. Um, but it just wasn't tried before this huge kind of do or die fixture. But as I said, it wouldn't be the last time we we we, we got to that. But you're right, Andy. The goal is <laughs> it, 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 it's calamity stuff. Actually, that TV angle does it favours because mm. I was in the govern, and it, maybe I'm wrong, but I actually see it, and he seems to put like make his hands into like a circle, mm. and the ball goes through the circle. As I'm watching, I mean, it's one of those goals which you can see again, unfortunately, in your mind's eye, and it's in slow motion. And as Andy says, like the pencil getting thrown out, you're just saying, pick it up, catch it. Put it around the post. I mean, it just seems so obvious. I mean, as for the five, I'm not sure. I think we were pretty confident getting into this. And I thought, think we thought wrongly that we would beat this lot. And if we were going at a five, how many games in Scotland can you really try it? And that doesn't yeah. make it right or whatever. But I, I think there was a, a degree of confidence which obviously became overconscious because we put it out and thought, right, we'll play this. And at this point, Nisbet's playing decent. You know, he's scoring a few goals. He's He isn't playing bad. As you said, he makes a fit, fair fist by trying to save it. You know, Kuznetsov, does he ever look fit after his injury? He always seems to be, I don't know, half a yard slower one step away from being back injured again. But this team we're playing aren't good. I know they do reasonably well in that sort of playoff, uh, the, the round robin sort of league thing. They're a team we should have we should have beat away and we shouldn't have even had to go to extra time even get losing for this. We didn't play well in either leg. Um, no. The back five wasn't great, but actually the front five weren't not much better and the goalkeeper, as we said, couldn't keep wins out of close yeah. at this point. I mean, give give Prague the the due. They, they 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 knock out Marseille in the second round. Marseille have just beaten the final. Uh, they're in the group, this new fangled yeah. group stage with, with Barcelona, whom I mean Barcelona get there relatively comfortably, but they beat them at home. Um, so you know, results would suggest they're they're maybe better than, than certainly we thought um, and you thought at the time. But but Rangers don't turn up. They don't turn up in either leg, and that that's really the crucial point. Gorham's hesitancy dealing with that that uh, own goal as it would turn out can probably be explained by he start of the season, but the midweek before that, uh, Rangers tumbled out of the Skull League Cup at the semi-final stage, and it really is another Andy Gorham um, disaster. It's Hamden against Hibbs, his old team, of course. Um, Rangers without golf, as I said, injured, and... Quite incredibly, Mikhailchenko and Kuznetsov were in international duty that weekend. Uh, that weekend, that that midweek, USSR were playing Hungary. Um, fixture schedules not being aligned in those days uh, necessarily. Still, should have been enough for for Hibs, but we we we, we don't. Um, Hibs were actually well worth their their, their win and their place in the final. Uh, this was a just. Only one goal in it, completely unnecessary, completely needless. It was avoidable. Pat McGinley just punts the ball um, forward for, for Mark McGraw. He gets a reasonable amount of space in behind Brown, um, kind of in between David Robertson's coming back and Scott Nisbet. But, but the pace of Robertson ensured that he would have been close enough to put pressure on McGraw by the time he, he controlled the bouncing ball. But that's made academic by the fact that Gorham decides to run to the edge of his penalty area, punch the ball out straight to Mickey Weir, who's got all the time in the world to place the ball right in the head of Keith Wright, unmarked between the stranded Gorham. And, and you've got Scott Nisbet and Gary Stevens on the, the, the goal line, unable to do anything. Um, it was a nice header, to be fair, but he's only four yards out from goal. And that was it. Uh, and he really did take this hard. Even within the, the you know the dressing room, Ian Ferguson said that he was you know, just completely felt he let the team down. He was miserable. Um, and you know he left Hibs to win trophies. And you know they they go and they beat Dunfermline in the the the, the final. Um, and remarkable that in this game and fast forward to to May nineteen ninety four, you've got. Two goalkeeping errors, really, between Rangers and, and a kind of treble treble. Um, both of you there at Hamden that night. I, I, it's Smith 
throws on all three of McCoy's Johnson Haley. We'll come to that in a moment. It's McCoy's that starts on the bench that night. Um, there was some almost moments, some scrappy stuff around the, the, the Hibs penalty in the second half, but I don't think Rangers really deserve to win that night. But it, again, it's, 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 it's Gorham that, 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 that dominates the headlines, Andy. I wasn't there, but I remember the goal because um, with hindsight, he just doesn't get back on his line. He comes out and punches at the very, very edge of his box, which is something you don't see at all nowadays. But he comes right to the edge of his box, punches it, it falls to a Hibs player, and as you say, he's caught in no man's land too. So it looks horrific. If he'd sprinted back to his line, you know, and turned his back on play, he might have gone mm. in time, but it's just one of the ones where he's just caught so far off his line. And, um, you know, on the back of the Hearts game at Tynecastle where the, the ball floats over his head and at the goal and yeah. there's a, an increasing body of evidence that you know, Rangers fans at the best of times are quick to make a decision on players, as we know. But there was an increasing body of evidence that this guy wasn't going to do. He, he, he was making so many mistakes that sometimes gets to the stage when you're a Rangers player there's a point of no return. Mm. And it's a particularly acute if you're a goalkeeper because a, a mistake is going to get punished. So you've got um, the goals at the goal at Tyne Castle. In fact, I think there's two goals at Tyne Castle. Yeah, you've got this, just the one, just the one, and then you've got the, um, the cup tie, and then you've got the Champions League. So it cost us two competitions basically, and then uh, the, the start of the season wasn't exactly covered in glory. So as John says, you're looking at this and thinking, who has this guy we've signed? Because I mean, when we signed him, I think the, the consensus was it was a good move. He was mm-hmm. Scottish. Uh, three, the three foreigner who was obviously coming into play, he was in the fringe. No, even the fringe, he's becoming a, a Scotland player. You know, the first, second choice behind uh, would have been Lane and Brian Gunn, those kind of players at yeah. that time. So he had a pedigree, and he knew the Scottish game, and he knew he was a good goalkeeper within within the, the Premier League. But he was funny about it, and it was causing a problem for the whole team. And uh, you, you, you're talking about the defence there and Goff's absence. I think that had a lot to do with it as well because. Mm-hmm. Goff would have been a common influence and would have commanded that six-yard box as well. But this was a big problem at that point in time. And um, I think if you'd asked people to put their bets on the table at that time, they would have said they wouldn't have been there at the end of the season. John, we've talked about Gorham. That, that, that's that's fine and, and the lack of confidence there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Is there a lack of confidence about the manager? Again, the right immediate caretaker appointment, the ideal guy to, 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 to bring in and just see that thing over the line, just. Uh, but we have this week, and, and Walter kind of has these moments, doesn't he? And we'll see throughout the, the, the rest of this series, um, the weeks from hell, uh, we'll get one in, in, in 1994. Um, but Sparta-Prague on the Wednesday, uh, away, Again, Gorham at fault for for the the, the, the only goal in a one 0 defeat. Uh, uh, sorry, you got uh, uh, this this cup semi final. Sorry, in the Wednesday you've got the Sparta Prague at Ibrox the following Wednesday, and then in the middle we we lose two 0 at home to Aberdeen in a kind of weird flat dejected performance. There's no Gorham or, or major Gorham issues. I don't I don't think in in, in that game, um, but. As I said, and I think last week, if if there's pressure on Andy Gorham, there's, there's pressure on Walter Smith. You remember those early moments of the season, thinking hmm, this is uh, this isn't ideal. But I guess a range of support very used to, with the exception of eighty eighty nine, not starting particularly quickly. I don't recall it being pressure um, on Smith. I think it's that it's, there should have been probably. Um, at, at that point but I don't think there was well, for two reasons or maybe three one was we'd won the league in such on such a high which mm. gets through the summer Gorham is literally so bad that I mean we didn't play well at Hamden we didn't play well against Sparta Prague but the fact is we wouldn't have lost any of them if the keeper wasn't you know 
doing what he was yeah. not supposed to do. And yeah, Goff wasn't there, but we we always call injuries. But the mistakes that Gorham was making, even Goff being there, wouldn't have solved those issues because it was amateur. He was he came for decision making wrong in that night. He came out for it. As Andy says he's really slow. Well, he doesn't get back at all. He's kind of you know a rabbit in the headlights. Like it's not a strong punch, and you. You know, we give it a kind of last hurrah in the second half, but there's not really much belief about the team. But Walter has done something, and I think it, that game you described last week at Parkhead buys a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Because not since the summer of 76 have we gone to Parkhead and strutted our stuff yeah. and, and enjoyed ourselves. Yeah. And that that, that is... That maybe it's not huge now, and it certainly wouldn't be huge three, four years later when we're so used to going there, there and beating them. But at this point, to go and beat them so comprehensively, and you also know you're going to win the league. There is nothing there. I mean, Gorham actually, because he's clangers in the league, and we aren't covering all, or we might cover some of his later clangers in October, and then it's, as we go through. I mean, we would be well clear of the pack if he wasn't throwing in balls every other week. You know, I can think that's got Crab goal, mm. uh, Tynecastle, Falkirk, and the United. I mean, and this is a Rangers team that's scoring loads. But nobody's going to put a run together. We might be behind in the league, but everybody knows at this point we're going to get to the November, December, and the odds are we will rattle through quite a lot of wins and everybody else will probably have two wins, two defeats and a draw. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. After, after that... I mean, we can defeat. sleep at walk our way to the next four titles. And in fact, we do to at least two of them. Yeah. This is where I diverge a wee bit. I, we, we get there for sure. And I think this summer that's going to come in 92 is that, that point where I think yeah. everybody knows, everybody knows that it's over now for the foreseeable future. Rangers were at 3.40 on the last day of the season, um, second in the league, just gone. Rangers are not yet yeah, the favourites and the, the best team in the country and, and, and all of that, but that clear blue water where we really can just kind of sleepwalk. And as we're going to get to talk about it, Rangers pretty much after this episode do the absolute opposite of sleep while Rangers go into overdrive and don't really stop for the next two years. And then, and only then, can we just basically bumble our way through a season knowing that nobody can get close. It takes an effort and it takes an incredible run of performances to, to, to get this um, back on back on the road. Uh, but you're, you're right, I think the, the Parkhead game, maybe by Smith and, the, of course, that title. But he said, you know, he, he felt under huge pressure there um, because this is his team. Uh, he's not really just managing Graham's over the line. Huge changes this summer, uh, and and the, the the pressure was on. Um, one can only wonder what Sunnis would have done with Gordon because Sunnis wanted him, and this wasn't a, a kind of Walter Smith idea. Um, what Sunnis would have done with that that kind of start, whether he'd be looking to basically bring a new goalkeeper in from England um, immediately, um, and. September, October time. And this is maybe a sign of how different life's going to be um, with a new Rangers manager. Smith knows he can't solve Gorham's problem. Smith is not a goalkeeper, never was a goalkeeper. Um, he asked Gorham, you know, what can I do for you, son? I need consistency. And Gorham asked him to bring in Alan Hodgkinson, and that, that's that's what he, he, he does. And eventually uh, it comes good. There will be more. John, you've you've um, you've mentioned that. Uh, Rangers would draw 1-1 with Falkirk at home at the end of October. Gorham's responsible for that. We would lose um, 3-2 up at Tannadice in the midweek at the end of October. Um, Gorham responsible for the winner, spilling it right to the feet of um, Duncan Ferguson, I think. Uh, and then the visit of Celtic on the... Uh, for Saturday in November, and there is a mistake, but this time it's from a 
very trusted old pro, Nigel Spackman. He had few mistakes in him, but he has terrible back pass like in Tony Cascarino um, for the, the Celtic equaliser. Nothing Gorham could do about that. And in fact, Gorham was excellent that day. Made a few brilliant saves. And that's probably the turning point, or the start anyway, um, of resurrecting this Rangers career. Because Gorham really, really was superb. Um, it was McCoist who had given Rangers the the lead um, in that, that old firm game. Uh, clever run, low diving header. Uh, and that seemed unlikely, an old firm goal for Ali McCoy at the end of August. Um, but by the time that November game came, it felt inevitable. This was his 10th goal in seven games. We need to challenge something because this all started... Uh, way back in September, when Rangers went to Tynecastle again, this time in the League Cup. This is what happened. David Robertson, the reach Hakeley. That's a lovely duck from McCoy. It's a terrific goal for Rangers. And McCoy is back with a bang. Okay, Andy, I'll start with you. The, the narrative here... Set by McCoy himself in his book of 1992, um, his, his first autobiography, uh, is that basically on this quarterfinal, September the 4th, Walter brings him back into the team, he scores that brilliant goal, he celebrates the way he celebrates, and the rest is history. It is him and Hately forevermore. Uh, that's, that's not strictly true. The game at Tynecastle, Walter Smith does what Graham Souness has done early or just basically a year ago when Rangers went to Tynecastle in the league, he plays all three, Johnson, Hately and McCoy start. Um, and the goal comes from a Hately knockdown, um, and it's Hart's defence getting pulled in all directions again, and it happened a year ago as well. Graham Hogg has to come out to deal with Hately. Craig Levine's occupied by Johnson, which left John Miller completely out of position and left kind of helpless to, to, to block McCoy's shot. Um so that's that's one thing. It wasn't Smith saying, right, you and Hately, that's those are my guys. It was a combination of three. Ali gets stretched off in the Czech Republic, or what was becomes the Czech Republic, then still Czechoslovakia against Prague. Um, he doesn't start the Hibs game at, at Hamden. He doesn't start the Aberdeen game at, at Ibrox. It's Johnson and, and Hately again. And then through October... Smith mixes and matches, there's a bit of injury here, a bit of um, form there um, with Hately Johnson. Sometimes John Spencer started with McCoy. McCoy, though, in October starts them all. So Smith has said, no, it's going to be you, but I'm still trying to find my winning formula here. So the idea that it's him and Hately from, from that day forward, the idea that McCoy was never out of the team from, from that day forward isn't true. But by October, it, it's clear that McCoy is, is is there and he is doing the business. It really is incredible. He scores. Rangers beat Hibs at Ibrooks 4-2 and McCoy scores an absolutely brilliant goal. And the difference in that, his goal, his celebration, Archie Knox is on basically on the pitch hugging him. Compare that with that goal he scored against Aberdeen a year before when Sunas, by his own admission, could barely move a muscle in the stand. Um, the Rangers are piling in the goals, right? The, this tricky start to the season is Goff's injury, it's Gorham's form, Robertson's form perhaps, but Rangers are scoring loads. We scored 16 goals in, in the league in October and some of the football is really starting to look impressive. Mikhailichenko is starting to, to, to get uh, running in a Rangers team. Maybe running's the wrong word. Um, but even against Aberdeen, he was a kind of standout. Um, just for a wee bit of stats, 88-89-1991, Rangers averaged 1.72 goals per league game. That fell to 1.33 in that McCoy-Johnson season of, of 89-90. By November 91, the average is almost at 2.5. It's 2.48. So Smith has unlocked something here um, that, that that really is quite incredible at the back end. Um, but there's a lot going on with this, you know, McCoy's changing history thing. Um, it wasn't quite as clear as that. I think it probably points towards McCoy's recollection in terms of confidence. Yeah. In his head, I think he knew at that point it was there for him. Yeah. It was there for taking. Because the way you characterise it, they are... Martin, as we I remembered it, that you had the three Hately, Johnson, McCoyst kind of jockeying for these positions. I always felt Hately was the one that was the mainstay because he's style of play. Yeah. And it was because of injury. Uh, and we knocks, no major injury, but we knocks and things that kept the players out for two or three games that 
there was the the opportunity to mix and match or the necessity to mix and match. But it was kind of like he was making this, the old adage, you know, be so good they can't ignore you. That was kind of where McCoy was going because his his all round play was improving. As I recall, he was he was becoming more a rounded player outside the box, which was something that was probably levelled at him before, and that he was just a penalty box player. He was becoming far more progressive, uh, deeper in the park, and the link up play with um, with Haley and with, with midfielders was reminiscent of the kind of thing Johnson would do. Was known for, mm-hmm. and and the goals, as you say, was because we had a team that had a lot of goals in it. You, you mentioned Mikhailachenko. He took a wee bit of time to warm up. Um, I remember the game against Hearts when he first scored. And I think that was a kind of watershed from hmm. because he was getting in and out of the box and you know doing the late Brian Robson runs as he was he was supposed to be famed for. Um, and then you had the likes of Hooster would chip in. We'll talk about Dale Gordon later on. He was, could score goals. So there was a lot of goals in the team, and you even had defenders that could chip in for set pieces and, and, and uh, headers and John Brown and go off and. We spoke about McCall. Oh, no, prolific, but they could chip in when required. So the team is evolving. But the most interesting thing, as you say, was the, the jockeying for two up front. I can't remember what you're talking about there in terms of having a three in that, in that Hearts game. That's something that's passed me by completely. I cannot remember that. Um, and I would have been interested to see that because uh, how, how would... So, so was it just to... To pick your brains there, man. Was was one of them playing deeper than another, McCoy's or was it just deeper. a case of front three? McCoy's, McCoy's was deeper. a wee bit, wee bit deeper. And McCoy's, as John, I'm sure will attest, played midfield early in his. That's what we signed yeah. him. He's he was eight, an attacking midfielder. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, and the, the reason I mentioned because it, it's obviously that that kind of um time of year, early September at Tynecastle. But in the previous season, Rangers beat Hearts three one, I think, at Tynecastle early August. Uh, or late August, sorry, early in the season, and Sunis goes with a three, and they are pulling hearts all over the place, and it 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 kind of works. It looks good, but Sunis, nah, you know, it's four four two, and it's the big man and a kind of technical player beside him, um, and yet again another example of seeing something right in front of you, but not pushing, you know, and just kind of going with it because they 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 did look. Maybe it was just Hearts. Maybe just Hearts couldn't deal with a three-man attack. I don't know. Um, it's just weird that it was Tynecastle that it gets kind of used um, because the movement's superb. Watch the goal. It's a great strike. It's a great McCoy strike, but it's it's all Haley and Johnson and the, the Hearts just can't cope. The defence, they don't know who they're supposed to be picking up. Um, so who knows? Who knows if if either manager had maybe given that a wee whirl. Um, but it would mean three Rangers players staying fit for more than a few weeks, which we we, we, we kind of know um, is isn't the isn't the case. Um, but John, although Smith takes a while to to kind of land on Haley McCoyst, um, he does have trust in McCoyst, and he has that wee injury setback after that Hearts game. Um, but as as borne out by by October, um, he starts in every game and he scores what two, three, five, seven, nine goals um, himself in in the league in October. Um, he's grabbing this opportunity because I guess he's got trust and confidence that the manager actually does back him. Yeah, I think McCoy's was was always a guy that needed a challenge in some ways. You know, that's a carrot and stick. He did need to be loved, but I think there was also that development in him all through his Rangers career where you know, you can't do this well, I'll show you and yeah, whereas Johnson was, I always felt, was somebody who once he'd done the challenge yeah, what's next? Wasn't good, what's next? Uh, precisely that and, and he was a great player what is fascinating is why, given also the three foreigner rule. Why we weren't experimenting with with these three strikers because there's plenty of Scottish games you could have done it with Haitley, yeah. Johnson, and McCoy's lying slightly deeper because McCoy's could play there, and Hearts weren't the worst defence in the league. Probably they were one of the best. Well, given so, what they're, they're going to do, I mean, we'll talk a bit about Hearts. I think next next week they, by the time February comes, you know they they're the challenge, and the challenge is based on that miserly defence yeah 
and we've got these three two seasons in a row. Mm. I mean, I remember vividly that night. Um, I think it was one of the few nights actually it wasn't raining um, at yeah. uh, Tyne Castle, and it was it was stunning. Uh, and I was working through there, and I think the, the girl that worked for me was a Hearts fan. She was going to stab me the next day because I prophesied what was going to happen. Uh, and no, we played really well, but that wasn't a really as you say. It's October when McCoy hits gear. And it's that Airdrie game, which is the first, I think, game in October, and he scores twice, mm. and he seems to score twice. And it's not McCoy and Hately on that first game. It's McCoy and Johnson. Yeah. Did Hately have a knock or something? Yeah, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that throughout. Hately doesn't score in October. He does play, but um, as I said, I, I, for five games in a row in October, Smith doesn't name the, the same two in succession. But McCoy's has scored. But in, in all of them. From everywhere and anywhere, almost. I mean, if only he'd started two weeks before, um, you know, for cup semi-finals and mm. and uh, Europe, it would have helped. But no, he's flying at this. But and I think that's the other thing where Smith might be feeling pressure. But it's it's typical Smith. It always seems he has these seven ten days of absolute horror shows. Probably that was fourteen from the Prague game to the last Prague game. And then just when the pressure is about to get ramped up, suddenly we we get a, a run of results, you know, a run of performances that makes you think, ah, well, okay. Because we are a pleasure to watch. And it's not that we weren't a pleasure to watch the previous season, but we were pretty turgid from about February through until the last game of the season. Yeah. So, you know, Rangers fans' memories is always brilliant. So you're going from that, and then you've went through August, and okay, you know, you've won at Parkhead. September's a bit of a nightmare, but October is... Goals galore, isn't it? Yeah, yeah goals galore. I mean, the weird thing, though, is that you forget how the stadium has changed, but, I mean, the mm. average crowd around this point at home is 35,000, 36,000, yeah. because the capacity is, what, 42, 43? Yeah. It, you're looking at it and going, where's all the fans got? But it, it, we had a pleasure to watch, and... It's Haitley and McCoy's and it's Johnson. But you do have really good players there. You have Houston's in good form, Mikhailchenko's in good form, Nisbet's scoring a few goals from the back. Mm. It's not that... It's one of those times... Is it, is it a little bit like Gia towards the end of the season where things begin to click and they're in a little bubble? Mm. I, well, it's why I titled this chapter in the book, the, 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 this set of four alchemy, because Smith... He discovers it. He, he, he creates it. He, he, he stumbles across it. I don't know. Or we'll talk about how it, how it kind of comes um, to life. But it will come to life. Uh, and that that's really by the end of of October, starting November, that Smith has made that decision. Um, Mo Johnson saved Gorham's blushes in that 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 Falkirk game. He, he scored for Rangers to, to at least get a point. That was the last game. He started the last game. He scored. He was dropped for the the trip to Tanaday. He's going to be on the bench for the next few weeks. And well, Ali McCoy's was, I guess, willing to endure that pain and and, and be patient um, because he's a deep rooted love for the club. Uh, Johnson was absolutely not a restless professional, I think it's probably fair to say. Um, he made it known that if he wasn't going to start for Rangers, he would prefer to start for someone else, and he he wanted to go. So actually, Stuart McCall that pushed them in the direction of Everton. Everton and Leeds wanted them, and McCall said, you know for someone who quite likes a good work-life balance, shall we say, um, that Howard Kendall might be a better bet than, than Howard Wilkinson. And he performed fairly well for Everton, um, scored once in every three, again playing in a three-man attack with Tony Cotty and Peter Beardsley. Um, but this kind of prolific nature of Johnston's game probably was out by that point. He was maybe more of an all-round forward, scorer of big goals rather than hatfuls. Um, and... His career kind of fizzled out from from ninety two ninety three onwards. Uh, some might say he missed out on another league medal by not going to Leeds. I'm not sure if that would have turned out that way because Leeds missed out on Johnson, but they went for um, a French player called Eric Cantona, and that worked out all right for them that season. Um, both of you, um, I, I really want your your opinions on. On this two and a bit years of Morris Johnson, one thing to sign for Rangers, but it's another thing for him to actually go and play and do the biz and quite a subdued, quiet departure for someone who'd made such a, a sensational entrance. Um, Andy, uh, the 
common consensus is great season, all right season, poor half season. I don't, I don't really buy that. I think for those first two seasons, Mo Johnson was very good for Rangers. He popped up now and again in, in this kind of intermittent and troubled um, first few months of this season. Um, I think that's that's probably a fair assumption. What, what's, what's your summary of, of Johnson's time? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I, th- I think he, he, did, he, he did the job he was brought to do. Um... If you just look at it purely football and wise, then you're correct. It was two, one really good season, one good season, and then this, the, the, the third half season was kind of hit and miss for the reason we're spoken about in terms of striking department. Um, it did leave with a whimper, and it's as if you know it burnt out. It was such a seismic signing, and there was such fervor around the fact that it signed for Rangers that. He was never ever going to be here for the long, long term. He was never going to get a testimonial. It was never going to be one of their relationships. Um, and it was whether you mean you've just compared McCoy's versus Johnson in terms of the inner desire, the motivations that actually lie with the heart. And that's probably a good uh, summation of the difference between the two. Mo Johnson was a professional, a professional first and foremost, dare I say, a mercenary. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Whereas McCoy, there was something else there as well as being a good professional. So when he left, I can't remember there being any dissent whatsoever. He kind of went with his best wishes. Mm. You know, the folk that had um, laboured under his signing were then, I mean, I don't think they were triumphant or anything as, in, as if, you know, good riddance. But there was none of that, as I can recall. And if there was, it was probably more said in private than in public, but we didn't live in a social media age back then. It was a kind of low-key departure, but there was a certainly from from my circles there was a acknowledgement he did the job that he came to do, and probably the bigger contribution was what it opened up in terms of Rangers Football Club um, and the barriers it broke down and, and, the, and the kind of way it changed everything. John, Matt, uh, I'll ask you the same questions Andy in a minute, just in terms of how you would assess his overall performance, but. I think one of the myths that the, the Johnson time here, rather than just the signing, um, exploded um, was probably by the 80s one of the, the probably the biggest myth that, that, that propelled the inverted commas signing policy, signing practice, call it what you wish, which was, all right, well, we can sign a Roman Catholic if we want and he can sign, he can wear a, a Rangers jersey, but is he really going to want to play? Is he really going to bust a gut? Is he really going to go to the nth degree? right to the wall for Rangers. He's going to die and, and you know, bleed blue for the, for the cause. Um, no. So what's the point? What What is the point? Is it you know, cause issues in the dressing room, etc., etc., etc.? Johnson did explode that because, especially for that first season, I would argue the first two, um, he was as committed as any Rangers player out in the park. And I think what the... I still think what that signing and what that that time that he, he served with Rangers represented was more about the modern than than the past. It was more about a, what the new professional footballer looked like than than religion really, uh, and it was that if a professional is induced enough by money and the chance to win things, he will bust the gut for anybody. Because as we mentioned before, the easiest decision in the world for Johnson to make was to to go home, as it were. Um, but he he saw something professionally more attractive, and he he went for it, and that was shattered. Then this this idea that that, that you you needed to have you know grown up hearing tales about Struth and Waddle in order to to play for Rangers. Um, that's really what it shattered. Not not necessarily about the simple superficial elements of a, a another Roman Catholic coming in uh, later on. It was. If you offer someone money and they're good enough, they're going to come and and do a professional job, which is what he did for a time period, and then left very much as soon as signing, really, because there's loads like that. Yeah, I think it was 
let's be honest, in terms of the money aspect, that was sharp with Terry Butcher. I mean, he came for money, no other reason you would argue. And but he gave everything for yeah, the cause. Yeah, and Roberts. Uh, all, you know, so all the English players come in, you can't say... I think the question mark I had, and certainly a lot of the guys around there, was could someone from that background come and be as professional or as committed as these English players were? And that was the question mark, because we've seen quite a number, of, even in discussions, of players who soonest wanted but didn't want to come a lot of it for family reasons. And he went, to be fair, I don't think at any point Johnson ever let us down. I thought he was always committed to the cause. I think you could say his first season was exceptional. I think he was still great the second season and into the third. I think the thing that was dissipating was he was bored. What next? He didn't. He took on challenges. If he wanted easier life or to play for, you know, Raselic, he would have went back there. He would never have left to go to Nantes. He was uh, he was an ambitious young guy, and we were an ambitious club, and it was a perfect fit. And he gave nobody could criticise him for not giving everything that he had because he fought his way. He made it happen. And he was a fantastic. In terms of him going quietly, unfortunately, by that point, I mean, this is a year in which we've seen Butcher go, mm. Woods go. And we're getting kind of used to Walters go. Yeah, Stephen. Unfortunately, we're, yeah, we're getting used to seeing heroes going mm. and not really seeing Churio to them because Butcher disappears. Woods, there might be rumours, but I don't think it was ever that's his last game before. For that Aberdeen game, I think everybody maybe thought Walters soonest was going to sign him. Yeah. But there, wa- there wasn't, did any of them apart from Ray Wilkins really get a, a really send off at Ibrox? I don't believe so. It just, it was the way of the world. They come in, they do the job, and they go. It was all very professional. Clinical. Just, just yeah, clinical, out, you know, professional and work ethic and all of yeah. this. It was like, you know, you come in, you do the job, you get paid, you get well rewarded, and then we'll fire you. You know, it's high on fire or whatever. Sounds a bit callous, but it's that kind of thing. And Johnson did it perfectly, and I think that was a surprise. I think what he shattered wasn't that um, players could come in, because I think Butcher shattered that. Mm. I think what, what he shattered was there is someone like himself, like Neil McCann, who can mm. come from supporting Celtic, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that, yeah, yeah. from a real strong background, and then say, actually, I'll play for it, which up until that point was something that Rangers supporters could go and play for Celtic and would give everything. Up until Johnson signs, no Celtic supporter plays for us and gives everything. And that's what changed. And that opened up and but there haven't been too many. Um, there haven't been too many Scots we've signed. But, you know, him, Neil McCann, they shatter that sort of illusion that they don't want to play for us. And they came, but I think for Johnson being the first, I'm not sure they came if he was the second or third. I think it was the appeal of being the first, having that challenge, that pressure, and that's what he thrived. I think, I think that would have definitely, there would have been some spice in that for sure. But I go back to, what I said at the start and what we said in those those shows around his signing. Um the package worked, whether he was the first, the third or the fifth. Um the the, the package worked, more money and the, a genuine chance to win medals that he was not going to get with the club who who wanted him first. And as cool and as cold as that, that that's how it that's how it happened. Um but what it did do is obviously resolve that issue, um, that striking issue that had caused so much tension. Uh, in the previous season, and there was maybe an air of calm about uh, about Ibrox uh, after that, um, because it was now McCoyce and Hately, and that was that. Smith, uh, this is a bit of a coda, really. Um, up at St Johnston, twelfth of September, around the time that yep, things aren't quite knitting together. Uh, Rangers win three two. Needs a, a very late Scott Nisbet goal to to secure the points. Um, but Smith and Alex Totten, manager St John's at the time, fireworks on the, the touchline. Um, 
both charged with breach of the peace. Um, very on Walter Light, Andy, but it, it, again, go back to that that question I asked uh, John a while ago. You know, how much pressure was was he really under um, in in this early stage where where signings are not bedding in and, and things aren't quite going to plan? Um, you know, as soon as you could absolutely see being you know charged with breach of the peace on a, on a, a, a touchline, but, but but maybe not Smith. Yeah, it was probably something we hadn't seen from him in public before. I mean, we got to know Walter very, very well, obviously. And we've seen something similar years later with Pat Lane, and I think it was. But at this point in time, I don't think we had seen, as a Rangers support, we'd seen Walter's teeth. Um, because I, I think at that time, you know, players would talk about him and how he behaved around the dressing room. And, you know, that he was quite a fearsome character at times. And, the response would be, you know, really because he was, he was very, very, you know, measured in how he, he dealt with the media, and um, we never ever really thought of him as the, the teacup thrown soonest type. We always thought of him as the offset to that, and that's why he was in the dressing room. But there was that side to him, you know, and, and that, that incident with Taunton, I can't remember the details around it, but Taunton was a, a peer of Walter Smith at that time. Yeah, sure. And it probably does point. It probably does point to the pressure because you know the, the, the Sparta Prague thing was a financial blow, just as it is nowadays. If you weren't to qualify for European group stages, whether it's Europa or Champions League, it was a, a big financial blow at the time. And something flies about in my mind that it was worth four or five million quid to the, the club at that point, and our turnover would have been, I don't know, Martin, about 12, 12 million at that time. Yeah, eleven. I think, yeah. So it was it was a hell of a do, hell of a hell of a chunk of change for us to to. to lose out on, particularly when we're expanding the club deck and, you know, we've got grand ambitions for the for the domestic um, squad. But that that was the, the beginning, I suppose. I don't, I always thought that at that point, as you, you said earlier on, the league was going to come our way, it was just a matter of time, we'd wear them doing because we had a better squad, with more resources. It was no quite a matter of time, but there was always that Relaxation when you put your head in a pillow at night, you knew that things would really have to go against us for us not to win the league over the course of whatever it was 44 game 40, league at that point, yeah. wasn't it? 44 game league, this was brought in this season. Um, just incredible. We'll, we'll touch on league reconstruction, I think, um, at a later date because it, it is becoming a bit of a topic in Scottish football. It's just an absolute marathon. Um, yeah, so Hearts are. The surprise leaders. Rangers are staying in touch, um, especially now that, that things have settled. Uh, we got a kind of freak 1-0 defeat at home to St Mirren, but apart from that, loads more consistency, continuity, performance, team lineups, and results. Um, I guess there's an easy and very appealing straight line here to draw between Johnson leaving, um, maybe a... a a settling effect because we, you don't have this conundrum anymore and all of a sudden Rangers go in this this great run from, from kind of November on. I think that would ignore the impact of another signing and that, that being um, Dale Gordon from, from Norwich City that, that, that Smith brings in in early November. 1.2 million. Should be noted by the way, Johnson was sold for one and a half. Rangers made money on it. Rangers made money on transfers in those days, even the big ones that we, we, we kind of brought in. Um a replacement for Trevor Stephen, really, on the right-hand side. Never really got that um, done in the summer. The, the, the Trevor Stephen deal was quite late. In fact, Trevor Stephen scored at the start of this season. That's how late it was. Um, and uh, Gordon's debut was at East End Park. Dunfermline scores twice. Rangers win 5-0. And just, again, a bit more balance, uh, creativity coming from both sides. And as much as McCoyce and Haightley, John, are going to fill their boots... And they're famous for filling their boots. Rangers, we, we, we fans, we, we have to give a wee bit of credit to the providers. Gordon would make a difference there. Mikhailichenko absolutely has made a difference. That audacious 
halfway line lob or chip should it, uh, I guess it should be at uh, Brockville in um, one of his, his first games back in September uh, an early insight and in, in the, the, the difference the kind of different player that we got there and also Peter Hooster is having a fantastic season he gets called up for the Netherlands around this time um, so there's a lot of supply um, and you get two two players up front I guess who are, who are, who are absolutely going to feed off that um, but Dale Gordon I, yeah, again I see Smith I think copying the the soonest market game plan. Go down to England, get someone in. Um, it's getting to that stage of the season. We need a tonic, and Smith would do this a lot. Um, and and guys would just come in and, and do the job. And, and Gordon did a quite an underrated spell at Rangers, I think. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he came in and he hit the ground running, which always helps. Mm. But he was coming in. He came in at the right time because this was off the back of October, when we're scoring goals freely. And and generally, our better performance seemed to be away from home. Mm-hmm. I, I, it seems that way. I, and you look back at all the things, but we're scoring a fair few goals away from home. You know, even getting beat at Tannadice, we scored twice. Yeah, yeah. And we go to East End Park, and we just run over the top of them. And, and Dale Gordon looks good on that right-hand side, which is, you know, the current Rangers team, you might argue, in 2022, where, you know, who's going to fill the right thing? And he's not really, he's got a bit of pace, but he's not a flying machine. He's not like Houston, from recollection. Yeah, yeah he is actually very like Stephen, not yeah. as good. He's not on that level. But a bit more of a work, a work, he, he put a shift in. Yeah, I mean, he would be a fantastic guy nowadays for Europe. A better player than Daniel Kandias, but a similar <laughs> yes. kind of thing. But that kind of guy who would come in, he'd do a, do a lot of work for the team, you know, up and down the side, cover, a lot unspoken. You look at, as we, well, we will be looking at as we go through, or you will be, depending on who it is, over the next season or so. There's some real crucial games where he's playing mm-hmm. and do, doing a shift when it's backs to the wall, Smith as well as creating a lot. And he he was a good signing because he came from nowhere, and we all kind of watched the English league, whatever it was at that point. It wasn't a Premiership yet, was it? Whatever yeah, you know, down to Ayrshire on a Sunday afternoon to watch Ulster TV or Border <laughs> TV, etc. But I mean, he came from he wasn't somebody that you would have said, "Oh, we should sign him." In a way that you no know, Stuart McCall rolled off the tongue because mm. you'd seen him whatever in cup final. Dale Gordon kind of came from nowhere. And yeah, he hit the ground running. He fitted straight into that whole system that we had. And I wouldn't, you can't discredit, the guys get Gary Stevens at his back. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you do have a bit of license. You know, by this point, you know, David Robertson's got maybe the harder job because Miko was, you know, never the most industrious at this point in the left. But I mean, we are, we are good, looking good in the flanks. It's, the goal, the the forwards just can't stop scoring between Haley and McCoist. And, you know, Dale Gordon comes in and bags a couple of decent goals. It's a really good performance at East End Park. You know, you're winning 5-0 away. And, and we are playing good football. You know, before he comes in, even that October, yeah. it yeah. turned the corner. But he brings that little bit more. And actually, our position at this point, it'd be fascinating to see where we are in every other season. It's probably one of the best we've been in at this time of the season as we head into the dark winter. Well, twenty third of November is that that St Monday defeat, and it was a freak defeat, and it, it was very much a, a an outlier in that um, yeah. that that run post the Celtic draw. Um, but we were three points behind Hearts, two points for a win at the time on the twenty third of November, um, and that's where we'll stop tonight, I think, um, because we have that winter to come next week. Um, thank you, John. No, thank you. Thank you, Andy, as well. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. No worries at all. I'm glad uh, Andy Gorham's getting a wee bit better as we go along. Wonder where he'll end up. Wonder where he'll end up, indeed. Um, we wee bit of housekeeping. Uh, we're, we're nearly at the halfway point of this epic journey through the, the, the Soonis and Smith era. And... I am always keen to, to, to read the comments on the thread. There's always quite a fair bit of discussion, some really good points being made. I'm grateful for anyone who, who really interacts with the with, with the show, um, whether it's just re-jogging memories or 
what I hope it does is is create a bit of debate about why things happened the way they did and what what could have happened differently because that's really what history is about. Given that and given it's a summer, I'd be interested if anyone uh, is up for a kind of live show over Zoom where you can tease out some of those theories, bit of a Q&A with definitely myself, if I can persuade John and Andy to join, that'd be lovely, but um, yeah, if you're interested, let us know on the thread, we'll maybe do that in a few weeks as we, we reach that halfway point, um, but thanks gents, thanks listeners, uh, we'll be back next week, um, from Dale Gordon to Eric Bo Anderson, um, Walter Smith was doing something that he would do for, for quite a while, which is reaching out to the, the quality reinforcements in ways that no others really in Scotland were able to do. As much as the, the transformation from Soonest to Smith would develop, some things were remaining the same. As had been the case before, as soon as Christmas came into view, Rangers would go into overdrive. Until next week, bye for now. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.